The freight industry has a massive problem of inefficiency. It's called empty miles. 35% of trucks on the road today are driving empty and our environment is paying the price with millions of CO2 metric tons of emissions wasted every year. Be part of the solution with Convoy. Visit convoy.com sustainability. Norfolk Southern isn't just in the business of moving freight. They're in the business of a better planet. To learn more about Norfolk Southern's industry-leading sustainability initiatives, go to nscorp.com slash betterplanet. There is over a trillion dollars of waste in supply chains today. The net zero carbon emission is something that corporates are taking very seriously. To meet these objectives, they're going to have to take into consideration CO2 emissions. Hi, and welcome back to another episode of Net Zero Carbon, the show at FreightWaves where we focus on all things in sustainability in freight and logistics. Today, I have the distinct honor of being joined by Peter Bolstorff, Vice President ASCM, and an author of one of my favorite books. Peter, how are you doing? I'm great. How are you doing? Life is good. I can't complain. Um, you know, we're all surviving post-pandemic and trying to move into endemic status, but you know, you and I, uh, kind of setting the stage for the conversation, we've talked several times and I've listened to a couple of speeches you made or presentations you've made on um, operationalizing sustainability. And it's an important topic and I think it's uh, good for our listeners to understand from your point of view sitting at ASCM, this is not just about reducing carbon footprints and emissions in freight. This is a much bigger landscape and picture we need to talk about. So in light of that, why don't you set the stage with a brief background for yourself in ASCM and where you're focusing in this today. Great. Thanks, Tyler. So again, my title is Executive Vice President for Corporate Development. And so I look after our global 200 corporate accounts. And, um, you know, so we work on transformation, educational things, talent development and, and workforce at large. One of the emerging um, solution sets that we have is in sustainability. So I get the unique, uh, just cool thing of being able to work with all of these corporate leaders. And right. And so one of the benefits of that is to actually put people into a couple of different categories, leaders and laggards. And I'm going to draw on a lot of that uh, experience on trying to characterize what leaders are doing um, as we go through kind of our discussion. So I think one of the things I just want to represent for everybody is when we talk about supply chain and we talk about the scope of that, um, I think there's a reference I want to make to SCORE. And, and one of the most uh, popular graphics of SCORE is its definitional page. So it's the integrated processes of plant source make deliver and return from supplier to supplier to customer's customer. So when you think about net zero, you know, how do you get the end-to-end -end chain to jog at the same pace? Because oftentimes you run as fast as the slowest person. And, and, and the other thing I just want to characterize is it's more than just net zero. When we start to think about making the world a better place, there, there's a lot more to it. So I'm really happy to share some of those insights from our leaders uh, in our corporate community. Well, we're happy to learn from them and have the benefit of your experience. You know, I referenced your book kind of at the at the top there, but when we talk about supply chain and excellence, you really wrote the book. And uh, I think it's important to, to give some credit that's due there. You've got a lot of experience in this space. How is it different today than when you started? Because the SCORE model has been around for a while. ASCM is almost 70 years old at this point. What have some of been the big developments over the last decade? 
Well, that's a that's a great question. So uh, so many of you are watching me right now. When I think hard, I always look up left. So just so you know, right? So um, so I think with over five thousand organizations have used SCORE to kind of set up their supply chain since nineteen ninety six, which is when it was introduced. This year, we have a huge initiative on updating SCORE for twenty thirty, and that's how do we put the pieces together between customers, product development. You know, the traditional score processes, digital capabilities, we're adding a component around sustainability. So, again, stay tuned, uh, listeners. Um, score has moved to public access. All you do is, is simply need an ASCM account, no cost. Um, but when you when you think about the end to end supply chain, um, one of the features that that comes to mind is everybody's talking about digital transformation, right? Well, the interesting thing is we know today, generally speaking, people are only using 30% of the investment that they made five years ago. So this idea around back to the future, right, is how do I start using the tech that I already own and then spend those precious few resources on those capabilities that are going to get me a competitive advantage? I think when we think about sustainability, I think that has the same rhythm. You know, how do I do... How do I operate sustainably today? Um, and then how do I how do I then invest in those precious few things that are going to get me to, to net zero and, you know, and ethically, you know, managing my supply chain end to end? That's interesting. Yeah. And it drives the focus home really on a lot more of the planning mechanism within these within these supply chains, which often, you know, Sometimes it's just ready, fire, aim in a lot of these organizations, and that's not, that's not necessarily the best approach to sustainable enterprise. So, um, maybe tell us a little bit about at the top level strategy. You know, how are the leaders of the leaders, you know, the C-suite of these leading organizations, thinking through the value prop? That's great. So, leaders have been thinking about this as a benefit or a strategic advantage, you know, for ten years, right? So, we used to do a. A, uh, and, and we can reference the, the graphic article on this one, but th- there used to be a um, uh, uh, supply chain excellence survey that we used to do with PwC every year. And again, so 10 years ago, the interesting thing right now is in a recent CEO survey, um, you know, people are starting to wake up and saying, hey, look, sustainability is critical you know, to our success. And they're making these huge commitments you know, by 2040, 2050. The interesting thing is nobody's going to be around when they have to be held accountable for that. And so that's that's the idea around operationalizing sustainability because, okay, now that my boss has said, gosh, you know, I got to go there, how do we get there is, is, the big, is the big question. And I think leaders, you know, have been doing it for a while, you know, and now, and now that, it, you know, it's becoming more mainstream from a discussion and a strategy standpoint, Again, the Dow Jones Sustainability Index has been around since nineties, nineteen nineties, right? So, and they keep adding to that um, to that pool. It's important to recognize the value of supply chain and overall enterprise value, right? We think about some of the most valuable firms in the world. We know how well run their supply chain is, and they get graded kind of every year on their results. I mean, and you see them, some of the ones you see out there in the public: Johnson Johnson, Nestle, Pepsi, Walmart, Apple. These guys all are incredibly valuable companies, but they put a lot of effort and resources behind their supply chain strategies. How do do we go from taking the lessons we learned from the leaders and 
pushing that out to the broader landscape and some of these, you know, lower tiers in their supply chains? How do we how do we deliver those lessons? That's a that's a great question. So we did a research study on supply chain resilience um, with the Economist Intelligence Unit. Um, and what we found was there was two dimensions to resilience. There's this idea around operational resilience. That means I've recognized or I've sensed a disruption and now I'm going to, I'm going to manage through it. Right. And there's all kinds of characteristics around what are the leaders doing to be able to do that effectively. One of the interesting things that came out of that one was there's another dimension of resilience called strategic resilience. And that's this whole idea of how do I take what I learned in this current one and then, and then bounce it forward or play it forward so that I can update my playbook, um, you know, as for future disruptions. Because it doesn't have to be like for like disruption. It, it could be, you know, it could be similar, right? So a tariff could be the same as a pandemic in some cases or an endemic, if you will, or, or something like that. Again, part of your supply chain has been disrupted. And then how do I work my way through that? And what we're saying is, I think, the more dialogue and, and the more we can benchmark and educate people on what are those characteristics of strategic resilience, what does it mean to be operationally effective, you know, in managing through a disruption, um, you know, so there's the education of it. But at the end of the day, Tyler, you know, as well as I do, it takes bold leaders, you know, to take those risks because oftentimes, you know, resilience is one of those just in case things, just like insurance, right? That, you know, the idea of an immediate payback isn't necessarily there. Um, but I think what people are realizing right now is I would rather have a planful supply chain strategy that avoids things and keeps me calm and cool and spend a little bit more for that than, you know, have to race around, you know, with, with my head cut off. And just to note, there's a third emerging group of, of folks, you know, that, that were laggards that have woken up and smelled the pandemic. And are now saying, oh, gosh, how do I catch up? Right. So there's an appetite for kind of the middle of the bell curve um, in terms of how do I catch up? You know, it's funny. You sent over some information before and then there was a, a stat that I thought was interesting that was very telling and very rapid in how quickly market sentiment changed. And I've got it right here. The stat was um, in January of 21, 40 percent of polled CEOs said they don't have a plan to reach net zero. And fast forward nine months to October of last year, and that number had dropped by 25%. So 20, 29% of them polled the same question, had changed their tune. And, and that, goes to, that goes back to, okay, gosh, now that I know that I need one, how, how do I do that, right? So how do I rally some, you know, a supply chain, you know, and my ESG and my CSR and all the other acronyms that you can throw into that one, how, how do I really do that? And I think one of the things that I want to go back to strategic resilience, one of the most difficult things I think that's that's going to be focused on, because it's totally across business, not just supply chain, is this idea around how do I uh, create circular, you know, circularity within my supply chain, which means I'm using waste from someone else to actually create or become part of the value add of, of what I do. Um, and that could be transport, it could be materials, it could be lots of different things. But that requires supply chain, product development, sourcing, you know, all of those, all of those disciplines to work together, not 
when it's been launched, but as you're part of developing the whole product or service or whatever you call it. So I think, again, it, it becomes sustainability becomes, you know, not not just a program, but a way of doing business. And you said that it made me think about a lot of, you know, the textbooks I read in college about how siloed business units and functions were previously. And what you're saying is that there's is so much more of a need now for collaborative, cross-functional resilient enterprises to be able to make a lot of these changes happen. So we're moving from, you know, designing out waste of a process in a silo business unit to we're now reincorporating someone else's waste into our own business product lifecycle. And that cuts across all the different functions in an enterprise. Right. And and there are companies today that are now really looking after, you know, if they, if they go to the third tier of supply, you know, so let's just say there's something in in uh, cows that are really important to a pharma manufacturer. And, and so, and because there's a large volume of that, they're actually now paying attention to where they source the cows from and making sure that that's a sustainable or a, a circular kind of a business enterprise. That's where people are going today. I mean, from a leadership standpoint. And so, again, I think things are going to get less serial and more dynamic and more asynchronous, you know, and I think it takes a special organization who knows itself and has a good center to be able to deal with that chaos um, at, along with people who have a pretty good sense of, you know, and then we get into talent development. How do you start thinking about shifting your, your, your supply chain talent from analog to digital, right? And, you know, and all those things, right? So yeah, a lot. That's, that's one thing I really appreciate with ASCM is the focus on continuing education and certification and even looking at, you know, the new enterprise certification for sustainability, where you're working not just to train individuals to carry this, this learning with them on their own journey, but organizations, groups of individuals working together to improve organizations. I, I just applaud that effort at ASCM. Well, it's been, it's been fun to watch, you know, as people embrace the, the standard. And, and by the way, again, it's an open standard. So again, just need an account. You can download it uh, very simply. Um, but it's got 65 criteria. And again, it thinks across ethical, economic, and ecological factors. You know, again, it leverages the score process framework. Um, but it's interesting to see how companies are now starting, once they've learned it, they're now starting to teach their tier ones and then their tier twos. It's going back, it, you know, it's going, you know, further upstream. And, and, uh, and again, at the end of the day, um, the slowest member of the supply chain is going to be the, the pacer of, of the entire chain. So only as strong as our weakest link. And, and your example there gets back to my previous question of how do we, how do we broaden the reach of this learning? So thank you, ASCM, for making that open source. Let's take this a little bit more, more practical, if we could. Um, let's talk about some of the things that I know you'd like to reference about decision-making in these organizations and understanding what a triple bottom line is. Can you maybe explain that high level real quickly and then throw some practical examples, you know, anonymize an organization and a project and give us some examples of things that are happening under, under y'all's watch? Sure. I think triple, you know, the idea of triple bottom line. So that's, that's how do I measure my success economically, ethically, and environmentally, right? And that's been around for a while. Again, it, now it's just taking center stage. And so when you th when you see corporations thinking about ESG initiatives um, or CSR initiatives, or you think about that that pool of activity, um, they're really talking about not only how do I improve um, business or how do I improve my profits and revenues, but how do I also make the world better 
and, and, you know, do it more ethically. Um, there's a couple of, of um, references I just want to make. So, um, so if you think about, um, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to reference the, the article uh, five is, is when you think about triple bottom line decision-making, you know, one of the, one of the things that's really critical is how to, again, how do I cascade those measures for success from the shareholders, right? So if I've made a commitment to be part of the Dow Jones sustainability index, how do I cascade those goals, you know, so that my shareholders buy into it? And then I cascade it all the way down to the person who's operating a robot in a warehouse, um, you know, in a, in a sustainable way. Um, I think a second thing when we think about it is how do I have a clear innovation and life cycle strategy? How do I really rethink my product families um, to circularize, circularize those product roadmaps? The most clear example right now is the auto industry. You know, as you start to think about the number of electronic vehicles that are going to be on the road, how do you start to think about service facilities? How do you start to think about all of the gas stations on the interstates today? And how do they have to retrofit to be able to support that? You know, so the, so the idea is, is, you know, how do we start to think about innovation and life cycle strategy? And then there's one that I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to reference again, but it's this idea around how do I prioritize capital investments that do green? All of the organizations out there today, when they go through their budgeting, they have a CapEx. So I'm going to invest in this, that, and the other thing. The question you should ask yourself is how many of the investments, you know, actually meet triple bottom line criteria? that actually do green, that are going to make you more sustainable and, and make progress towards net zero. Um, and then, and again, you know, then how do I perpetuate those uh, standards, you know, within my supply chain? Uh, again, knowing that the slowest one goes there. So let me give you a sense of those capital investments that do green, just as an example. So reclamation, right? How do I reclaim things, recycle things? Waste reduction. So how do I improve yield so I don't throw things away? Um, alternative energy. How do I start thinking about, you know, not, not using carbon-based energy um, systems? Infrastructure. How do I start to think about, you know, again, this could be as simple as how do I make sure I'm using, you know, light bulbs that are energy efficient to, you know, how do I, how do I make sure that, um, you know, my buildings are green, um, Alternative manufacturing. So if you think about 3D printing, rather than moving materials across the water, maybe I move, move a digital image across the water and then somebody then manufactures it locally. Again, when you think about those kinds of things, product related material alternatives, right? So you've got all kinds of folks that are rethinking what kind of material do I, can I use to actually, um, um, you know, make my product functional where I'm reusing things. Um, and then packaging and transportation, those are the obvious ones. So um, anyway, those are the, again, if I'm thinking about the big challenges that we've learned from leaders and kind of where their focus are, that's that's how I would describe it, Tyler. And, and there's two, again, just uh, as I say in the material, there's a couple of different reference articles that we can, that we can use for the audiences. Definitely, yeah, we'll link to um, a lot of these in the show notes as well. Um, a couple of those, what's what's interesting about the list you just mentioned specifically under the capital investments is a lot of those are um, interrelated, right? When we think about alternative energy and transportation, clearly there's opportunities to reduce fossil consumption in, in both of those, not just in buildings, but in mobile sources as well. And, and some of that 
will necessarily need new infrastructure, right? So it's all kind of working together back to our collaborative, resilient conversation that we had earlier. Um, talk to me a little bit about um, 10-year planning cycles for some of these organizations, like long-term planning cycles. When we're thinking about a resilient, sustainable enterprise, you know, the the literature for a long time has been, let's let's make sure we're doing appropriate scenario planning. Let's make sure we're identifying our risks, doing materiality assessments to our enterprises. Uh, and a lot of the largest organizations in the world are doing that and they're resourced to do that. When we go to tier two or tier three, <laughs> you know, is there value in doing a slightly less comprehensive version of that and just having a weekend retreat for your enterprise to get away and say, look, long term, what are we worried about? You know, how do we drive this to the SMBs? Well, that's another big question for a lot of small for a lot of small businesses. You know, the interesting thing that I've found over time is actually small business, they're actually the better supply chains. Because again, think about it this way. If I service a big customer and I buy from big suppliers, if my supply chain isn't twice as good as theirs, you know, I'm going to get toasted. And so I actually think this is going to be an opportunity for competitive advantage. So for those SMBs that actually build up the maturity and skill set to be able to figure out how do I how do I support sustainability objectives for my big customers? How do I support sustainability from my big suppliers? Because again, everybody's going to have those net zero goals and then actually connect the dots. They actually have an advantage because they can get it done faster. You don't have as much infrastructure and crap to work through, right? So so, so my challenge to small businesses, don't, you know, don't do a woe is me attitude towards sustainability. Really think about how do I innovate and, and achieve competitive advantage, you know, using a triple bottom line, you know, set of thinking. How do you bring ideas both directions, right, to, to help people achieve their goals? So that's, that's kind of how I've looked at it, um, Tyler. That's an encouraging view, and I, I would totally agree. It's almost like you're betting on the the innovative entrepreneurs here to actually meet customer requirements, which we've seen over time works out pretty well in most enterprises. So, um, you know, just because we're moving to a slightly broader version of stakeholder capitalism doesn't mean that uh, we're going to leave behind small to medium enterprises because they really are the backbone of, of most supply chains. And I think one of the things that the small business has to think about is, you know, how do I start to think about not just the product, but the service around it, right? So, and then how do I digitize those kind of things? So, you know, again, so that I can automate and, and leverage all the tools out there. Um, again, today, if small businesses aren't thinking sustainability is an important thing and it's going to go away, so are you. So I guess that's, <laughs> that's kind of where I'm. Wrong words, but I believe a, a true sentiment to where the mark the business climate is today tell maybe leave us with this i've got one more question for you before we leave but prior to that you know when you're looking out to a 2030 um you've sent over a graph i think we need to pop it up here but about the increasing um number and complexity of disruptions talk to me a little bit about that from an expectation standpoint yeah so again when you when you look at the leaders what they're doing is they're putting together together these risk management tool sets, right, that characterize, you know, the probability of occurrence by risk type. A risk type could be weather, it could be political, it could be terror, it could be medical, like a pandemic or an endemic. Um, and so they're actually putting some science around, here's the, here's the risk categories that we have, and then using AI and machine learning 
putting together probabilities of occurrence geographically, right? So, you know, and again, from a weather pattern standpoint and other things, they have these things available. Climate by 2030 is going to be a, the biggest deal that we all have to deal with. So the question becomes, how do you start thinking about the playbook, you know, as we get into some of the, the early, I'll call it major, you know, bigger disruptions, you know, that, that we're going to be challenged with based on our climate and, um, and actually operationalize that, right? So how do I, how do I say, well, if this happens, then I'm going to go here. One of the things I know people are going to be focusing on is agility, right? A lot of people got stuck with single source suppliers in countries that, you know, wouldn't let materials go out of their country for a while. And, and then they, the workforce went home because of, you know, COVID quarantine restrictions and so the idea is, okay, how do I, how do I make my supply chain more agile? And, and my last comment on that, Tyler, is planning has moved from three-level chess to six-level chess. So how do I think out there 10 years, what are the products and services that I'm look, looking at? How do I design supply chains using sophisticated tools, you know, like Cooper or Lamasoft? How do I then, how do I then start to think about my product roadmap? And then how do I plan for it? And I think, I think everybody who has, you know, a VP or an executive title in planning is starting to think in six layers, not three, right? So all that complexity, just you said it exactly right. We need more agility. And, and my phrase that I like to use is you've got to be more adaptable to the future. We've got to be able to have a supply chain that's malleable and resilient. Well, let's do this because we're running short on time. I, we could geek out on this conversation for hours, I feel like, but and we'll do it again soon, hopefully. But I always love to ask our guests, why is this important to you? You know, what's the legacy you want to leave with the focus on sustainability in business? Well, that's, again, a lot of great questions. So uh, let me give you the two answers. I'm going to give you the typical answer. I have two granddaughters, right? I love them. You know, they're, they're, they're looking at the world in, in just half full eyes. And how do you perpetuate that half full, right? You know, as they grow up, how do you make you know, the world a better place. And I think supply chain has, is center stage to help make that uh, happen. Um, the other thing is um, when you think about, not the United States, but when you think about, I'll, I'll call it lower income countries, um, not having supply chains at the same level of maturity, you know, has, has provided inequity and in distribution on a lot of things. It's been most noticeable um, you know, on the, and the last, you know, COVID testing and COVID, you know, vaccines. So my hope again, over time is that as business leaders, you know, we, we not only, you know, make economical decisions, but we also make ethical decisions on how do we raise, you know, how do we raise, you know, the collective, not just focus on our little, on our little piece. And, um, you know, so that, you know, that the world gets better, not just a country. Noble sentiments that I totally agree with. We should be doing well and good for the, the broader populace here. So thank you. Thank you for your time. Thank sure. you for your work. Uh, we're going to have to do this again soon, but take care yep. and we'll, uh, we'll do it again. Peace. There's over thank a you. trillion dollars of waste in supply chains today. The net zero carbon emission is something that corporates are taking very seriously. To meet these objectives, they're going to have to take into consideration CO2 emissions.